welcome to Her Journey Podcast, where we talk with incredible, talented, and powerful women about their experiences. My name is Aline, and I'm your host, and today I'm joined with Yasna, a composer, professional model, researcher, author of Work Your Net, and student at Columbia University. So yeah, you're definitely doing a lot of really amazing work, um, and so just to kind of start off this episode, I'd love to have you introduce yourself a little bit more, and then just kind of tell us more about who you are and what you do. Absolutely. Um, so thank you so much for having me on the show. Um, and yeah, uh, pretty much I am the author of Work Your Net, which is a book that focuses on helping uh, those from marginalized communities uh, build their network um, and also overcome a lot of invisible uh, barriers that people from non-traditional backgrounds often face when they are trying to find job opportunities, internship opportunities, and figuring out um, college applications. Um, I also do some uh, modeling. Um, I've shot with Nike, Adidas, um, Columbia Sports, other brands. Um, I am also a student at Columbia University. I study religion um, and I've been working on a project about sustainable development, uh, which will um, hopefully be um, be uh, continued <laughs> this, this year. Oh, we, it is going to be continuing, but yep. So that's a little bit about me. <laughs> yeah, thanks so much. So, I mean, obviously your book seems to be a pretty important part of your life. Um, and so just to kind of kick off today's episode, I'd love to learn more about your novel, Work Your Net. Um, so yeah, can you just kind of tell us a little more about this book that you've written? I know you kind of talked a little bit about it just now, but um, just kind of explain what it covers and where your inspiration for writing it sprouted from. Absolutely. So um, I actually wrote Work Your Net during COVID and I thought it was um, really important for me to do it at that time, especially, you know, when so many things were um, <laughs> kind of falling apart <laughs> and um, when so many opportunities got lost, especially because uh, my plan for that summer was to go to India, um, Kenya and Paris, um, you know, all of those got canceled. Um, I felt like writing this book um, and also did a film composition for a documentary. Those two were the two projects that I really had control over. Um, and I think that um, it also gave me a sense of meaning um, in terms of, yeah, just having something that I can that I can value, especially because classes were online, you couldn't really see people. There were so many things that were just not working out. Um, and especially because, um, you know, as someone who is biracial, I'm Japanese and Afro-Caribbean. Um, I come from a low income background. Um, I, you know, my mom is an immigrant, so I'm the child of an immigrant and having uh, all these different kinds of intersectional um, identities, I didn't see, I felt like I didn't see enough people who look like me in a lot of the spaces that I occupy. Um, and, you know, what I realized was it wasn't necessarily that I was better or smarter than anyone, you know, who came from a similar background from me, but it was more or less. So um, a difference in knowledge and a difference in opportunity and a difference in who we are connected with. And I, you know, there's so many people that I have to thank who have helped me, you know, get into this position right now, you know, be a student at Columbia, Columbia and also like be having so many different kinds of opportunities uh, throughout my college career. Um, so also just understanding that, you know, no one is self-made. And oftentimes when we um, kind of create narratives where 
maybe like you don't get an internship, you don't get into college. It's not a, it, you know, we kind of like moralize it. It's not about, um, it's not that you're good enough or you're not good enough, or it's not that, you know, you suck or anything. It's more just a matter of maybe you didn't get the right amount of information. Maybe you didn't know how to prepare because there weren't people around you to help you, but it's not a matter of your, your um, intelligence, um, but rather opportunity. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. I love the way you put that. And I think it's really incredible that you spent, you know, the free time you had during this pandemic to write this book and really, um, spread this really important message and kind of teach people about this. So yeah, absolutely. Um, and I took a look at your book, actually, and I noticed that it has a lot of different interviews, I think it mentioned, um, with really cool people. And so I'm wondering if you yourself conducted these interviews, and if you had any memorable ones that were conducted or any that were just especially meaningful or important. Yeah, so I, I conducted all these interviews. Um, and it was a lot of fun. I felt like it was just like, it was just like, honestly, an excuse for me to be able to talk to such cool people who were, you know, giving me 30 minutes to two hours of their very busy time to kind of share a little bit of their wisdom. Um, I guess one of my favorite interviewers was, uh, we actually met on a plane. <laughs> And, um, you know, I was reading a book and he asked me, he's like, what book are you reading? So then when I respond, he's like, I can't hear you, I'm deaf. So I'm like, what the heck? <laughs> um, but, you know, we were able, you know, the plane ride was like two hours. And um, from me just like texting very quickly <laughs> and showing him the message and him talking, um, we were actually able to have a really a deep and meaningful conversation. So we've been friends ever since, and his name is Ted Hart. Um, and um, I believe in one of his interviews, he kind of, um, he, his favorite, he really loves sci-fi and fantasy. He, so he was, a, he, I put them, I put him towards the end of the book, but he was essentially talking about how um, essentially um, start, Trek was able to kind of like uh, create this phenomenon in guiding all of humanity, despite how diverse, despite how different we are. Um, so I thought it was like a nice conclusion. Um, another interview that um, I enjoyed um, and also was very inspired by was um, one, uh, well, he, he pretty much, he goes to Columbia and um, he's like a grad student, but essentially he was talking about how um, a lot of, well, he, he's black. So he was talking about how um, oftentimes we, in our communities, we are taught to think that we actually don't know networking, but networking is not just about being in a pre-professional space and giving your business card. That's actually the exact opposite. If you want to cultivate a really meaningful relationship with someone, it's going to probably come in an informal space. So he was talking about how actually, you know, as marginalized people, we're great at networking, whether it's going to a birthday party, where it's going to church, whether it's going to, um, you know, a club or a barbecue. We're constantly networking and talking to people. So that's not really the issue. It's more just sometimes uh, so it's more just like we oftentimes have not been as accustomed to the quote unquote professional spaces or the business like spaces. So that's kind of a different skill set. But um, to say that we are bad at networking or we do not know how to networking is simply false. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I definitely think that's, you know, some really great insight. And I 
also think it's really interesting how, you know, that interview that you first talked about was by chance. Um, so honestly, I think that's really, really cool. Um, were all your interviews kind of by chance, sort of like that plane ride, or did you actually schedule them in? Oh, so um, for Ted, I didn't interview him on the plane. <laughs> uh, we were friends for like a couple years. Um, and then, you know, he kind of, and then I just reached out to him, um, like when I was writing the book. So all the interviews, they were planned, but the way that I met all these people were quite spontaneous. Um, and you know, some people were more intentional. Like for example, um, I was able to connect with the head of social impact, uh, Meg Garlinghouse. And although I did not, uh, have a... I guess, interview with her for the book. Um, she was really able to help, you know, mentor me and help structure the way that I wanted to write the book. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's super cool. So then storytelling is definitely a talent of yours, which I think is really incredible. Um, and so, yeah, I think it'd also be pretty cool to learn more about where your general interest in storytelling came from and why it's so meaningful to you as well. Yeah, I think... Um, storytelling is so important because oftentimes um, in this society, sometimes we get kind of distracted by um, only statistical, you know, statistical factors or only looking at the numbers. There's only so much that you can learn from someone by looking at their GPA, um, knowing what school they went to, um, knowing what, you know, what scores they got for whatever. Um, that's a very, very small piece of who they are. And I think storytelling is allow, you know, it has helped me allow myself to express myself in a way that I feel properly represented um, and also gives justice to, um, many of the people who may not necessarily be represented in the way that they would like or the way that they should be um, from such a small, I guess, fraction of how we um, assess people. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, I, I definitely think it's really cool how your book, you know, not only covers your experiences, but also kind of shares other people's perspectives as well. Um, I definitely think that's really important as well. I think, you know, sharing people's perspectives, understanding each other, keeping an open mind is always really, really important. So yeah, absolutely. Um, and in addition to this book that you've written, I know that another type of work you mentioned that you do is modeling, which I think is also really, really interesting. Um, and so I'm wondering where this interest in modeling originally sparked from and how you kind of got involved in this industry in the first place. Yeah, for modeling, it was very just kind of spontaneous. Um, I remember one of my elementary school friends, she started posting some like modeling pics on her Instagram. Um, and this was during my gap year. So I had a lot of time to kind of chill and relax before I started school. So I just messaged her. I'm like, oh, like, you know, this is so cool. Like, congratulations. Um, like, I also, because I guess like, because I was always like tall, like, you should model. So I was like, sure, why not? <laughs> and um, I got scouted in Europe when I was like three, but my mom was like, don't touch her, she's young. <laughs> so um, once I was like 18, um, and I think it's also so important, especially for anyone who's considering going into the fashion industry to have a strong sense of self-worth before joining. Um, 
especially because it is an industry that is all about aesthetics mm -hmm. and also um, sometimes may not accurately portray the um, help or por portray what it means to look and to be healthy. Mm -hmm. um, for me, you know, I, I, I was confident and also, you know, I, I felt like I probably wanted to be a little bit more fit. So, you know, that was something that I already knew. But um, if you have any kind of eating disorder or any kind of body dysmorphia, do not join it. Um, unless you kind of like have strong boundaries for yourself and what you are willing to do and what you're willing to not do. Um, but I joined and, um, you know, I joined when I was 18 and it was a lot of fun. Um, <laughs> uh, I'll do it sometimes. Like uh, sometimes um, I'll go back to like Portland or Seattle and do like a shoot with Nike. Um, and then also I've been doing, you know, a few gigs around New York and stuff. So it's a great way to create or connect with uh, creatives. It's a great way to kind of express yourself a lot harder than I thought I was. You know, I thought I was just going to be like sitting in front of the camera, but like you have to be super intentional about the way you pose. Um, and it's also like a whole like exercise because you're, um, in order to like, you know, make sure you're, you're doing a good pose, you want to always be envisioning your whole body and how like the light is going to affect your, you know, what you look like, or what, what kind of position kind of looks the best. So I don't know, it's a lot of, it's a lot of fun. <laughs> if you are in the right headspace. Um, but you know, that also has allowed me to connect with a lot of really, really cool creatives, um, get some free clothes, uh, actually make some clothes uh, when, you know, just for fun. So yeah, I would say it's a great creative outlet and a great way to connect with people. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, very, very cool. I, I definitely think that's also really interesting. And I think, you know, modeling, um, you know, can be a really unique experience. Uh, I know you mentioned you do a lot of traveling. There's also networking involved that kind of relates back to your book as well. Um, and so I'm also pretty curious about what your overall experience has kind of been like being a model in terms of any struggles or challenges that you faced. For example, I know you talked a lot about, you know, self-worth. Um, and so I'd love to kind of know more about any specific obstacles that you yourself have noticed or faced yourself um, within this industry. Um, yeah, so I guess one one thing I've definitely seen is kind of sometimes a fetishization of, uh, you know, people who look like me, you know, oftentimes they'll be called like exotic or like different looking. Um, I also know that as someone who does not necessarily look like the mainstream, you know, mainstream person, also, I don't really look like the mainstream biracial black girl or biracial Asian girl. Um because oftentimes they lean towards more Eurocentric looks. So, you know, sometimes it's like being passed up for someone who is pretty much very similar in look as me, but may have like green eyes or, um, you know, may just like have a little bit more Eurocentric features. Um, and also knowing that, uh, you know, my look is unique and while it may not necessarily be appreciated by everyone, it should not necessarily be determinate of um, how I feel about myself. I think for um, body issues, uh, luckily, I've been very okay with that. And um, I think growing up with my mom, who's very, 
like healthy in the way that um, she treated her relationship with food. Um, luckily, I've been pretty much okay. You know, I'll eat whatever I want. I'll work out, um, but I won't try to like. You know, I don't. I don't think weighing yourself is really ever a good thing unless um, you have like. I don't know. You have a really healthy relationship with that, um, or like you know, or just being really obsessive with. Um, trying to look a certain way. Um, being healthy is to feel healthy. It's not, you know, everyone has a different kind of body. Everyone has a different kind of metabolism. Um, everyone has different genetics. So one thing that may, you know, a healthy body that may look a certain way for one person may look completely the opposite for another person. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's a really great way to put it. And um, I think you gave a lot of really helpful insights there as well. Uh, I think you mentioned before, uh, actually a lot while you were talking about both modeling and writing your book, um, that your biracial background has, you know, affected your life in numerous types of ways. Um, and I think it'd also be really interesting to learn, like, in addition to modeling or networking, writing your book, um, how this background of yours has affected the work you've done. Um, and it can be just any aspect of your life as well. Yeah, I mean, I, I feel like the being biracial um, and also being raised by pr predominantly by my mom, who's from Japan, um, it's definitely affected every aspect of my life because, you know, it's just who I am. Um, but I think it's, you know, in some ways, I definitely had an identity crisis when I was like in middle school and high school, um, especially because I was not surrounded by anyone who looked like me. You know, I didn't. I had one Blasian friend, but she lived out of town and, you know, I never really got to see her. We had very different like experiences just growing up as well because we have different personalities. Um, so kind of like sitting with what I look like and learning to be okay and learning to be happy with how curly my hair was. Um, you know, I was never really insecure about my skin color, but it was very much like, oh, I wish I had blue eyes. I wish, I, you know, my hair wasn't so curly. Um, you know, I, I wish that more people could recognize that I'm just as Japanese as they are. And being biracial, being mixed, um, having another identity tied to my Asian Americanness does not reduce um, me being Asian American. Um, and I mean, one of the good things that I've that has definitely come from that is learning how to uh, create or learning how to find hidden relationships between um, two things that may not necessarily feel like they um, could have any similarities. And I think that's the reason why I've also been so comfortable with my uh, degree. You know, I think a lot of people, if they're like, oh my God, like you're studying religion, like why are you studying it? Like if you're not trying to be like a priest or something, because oftentimes we think very black and white between our career choices, between our, you know, uh, not between our school degree choices, between anything, because if you don't see something directly leading to another opportunity, it immediately there's a disconnect. Um, so, you know, the reason why I'm studying religion, you know, while I respect anyone who wants to be a priest, it's not necessarily uh, within my career path. The reason why I want to study it is because I'm very interested in um, studying human behavior patterns, understanding um, how to figure out someone's intentionality and also 
Um, I think it's really important in business and marketing, especially when you understand where someone is coming from culturally, ethnically, um, what they believe in, what what um, pushes their buttons, what they're not willing to do, what they are willing to do, what they're passionate about, um, how to lead a community, how to create a sense of mission um, to lead a community, especially, especially because, you know, a lot of, you, you could compare um, like a, I don't know, a testament or like, let's say for like the Bible compared to like, not necessarily like a direct one because you know there's many many differences but you could compare like like technically the mission statement of um i don't know christianity versus the mission statement of like a business you basically have some kind of article some kind of mission statement that has um combined everyone together to share the same kind of values so you can kind of go into the same direction and understand like how to work together in order to um, create something that's bigger than yourself. Yeah, definitely. Thank you so much for sharing. I I definitely love what you said about, you know, how a lot of the time society th- sees things in black and white. I definitely agree with that. Um, and so, yeah, thank you so much for sharing that perspective. I think that's really, really important to kind of have out there. Um, and so, yeah, on top of all of this, whether it's modeling or being an author or, you know, studying religion, like you said, you also are a music composer. Um, which again, I think is really, really awesome. And so I think I'd love to just kind of know more about your background in the arts or just in music in general and what inspires the music that you make as well. Yeah, so, you know, I've been playing trumpet since um, middle school mm-hmm. and um, it definitely served a different purpose during that time, especially because um, being raised in Seattle, not really being around too many Black people, I felt like it was one of, of my mom's just like um, my mom's pushes to kind of force Loki forced me in a good way. You know, I'm very grateful. Um, forced me to learn about my heritage. Forced me to learn about Black culture because you can't learn jazz if you can't if you don't know anything about Black culture because you know we created it. Um, and uh, so you know it was kind of like a. a a way of like building my self-identity throughout middle school and high school now music is you know it's just as integral it's very important to me and it serves as something that um definitely propels me and um inspires me um because it's a great way to connect with people it's a great way to kind of like express yourself in a way that you know it sounds cheesy but in a way that words cannot um because there are no words to fully express um, music or any kind of art form. Um, Right now, I'm working on a couple um, short films. I'm working on a film called uh, uh, Cinema 4. I'm also going to be writing a theme song for uh, one of my friends um, in LA. So, you know, I don't really know exactly what's going to happen, but um, it's just like a, a way for me to work in a creative, collaborative environment and do something that I really love. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I love that. I think that's also really cool. I definitely agree. I think music is a really great way to express yourself. And, you know, the fact that you're still, um, you know, doing music composition and creating these films through the arts is really, really awesome. Um, and yeah, I mean, being still young and exploring these various avenues I think it would also be pretty helpful to kind of hear your perspective 
on some of the biggest and most important lessons that you've learned throughout all the work that you've done so far in your life? One of the most important lessons I've learned is that you need to pivot and you need to be flexible. Um, Especially from COVID, I had my whole, you know, life plans. <laughs> and I feel like it's, it's important to be strategic about where you want to go and where you want to be. But it can also be very detrimental if you cannot let go and if you cannot adapt. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, because I've changed my major so many times. I've changed my career trajectory so many times. Freshman year, I was like, I'm going to study econ. I'm going to go into Wall Street and then I'll just be an investment banker. Um, because, you know, I was also worried about how do I, how am I going to take care of my family? Um, I, you know, it's a priority and it hasn't changed, but the way that I would like to go about it has and my mindset has changed because it's more open, because it's more open to more possibilities and it understands that there's not just one path to get to where you need to be. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's also important to not just, not just wait for the future in order to do what you love. You know, I don't know necessarily if music's going to be my full-time career in terms of the way, the main way that I make money. But I know that it's going to be something that it's a very integral in my life. And I will treat it as a career. Um, you know, but at the same time, I think beforehand I was like, okay, well, you know, I love music, but um, I can't be doing this alongside other things. Um, I have to choose one or the other. Maybe when I'm old, have money, or I'm, I'm retired, that's when I can like really like work on my creative stuff. But the more you wait, the I think the, the more you wait and the longer you kind of spend time away from the things that you're passionate about, um, I, I feel like it actually can become counterproductive. Um, because, you know, I'm still figuring out where I'm going to go work after my freshman or after my senior year um but that's not you know you're you're I guess like where you spend your nine to five or like where you spend um the part that's most valued in society which is kind of like your labor um that is not determinate and that is not your entire being so being a full-time student at Columbia does not mean I just study it means I study, I do research, I hang out with my friends, I play music, I do things that I, I you know, I, I do things outside of being a student, um, which means, you know, wherever I work, whether it's a nine to five, whether it's um, freelance, whatever it is, it's only going to be a small piece of me. Um, sorry, I, I kind of went a little bit long, but <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, I definitely agree. And I'm actually really glad you brought up that point, because I think a lot of the time, especially for young people or youth, um, you know, there's this sort of pressure to map out your entire life and choose your career path. And I think, you know, um, it's like these kinds of experiences that show you that it's more important to choose something that you really enjoy doing and to also take your time in choosing and just to not feel that much pressure, you know, to Um, choose something right now, especially when you're still young and you still have a lot of time. Um, 
but yeah, I, I definitely agree. And thank you so much for sharing those insights as well. Um, before we end today's episode, I'd love to know if you have any last pieces of advice or insight for, you know, young women out there hoping to kind of make a difference like you or, um, you know, even if you have any tips on networking or any highlights from your books that book that you'd like to share, I think that'd also be really cool. Yeah, um, I guess one one piece of, of advice, especially for women, is if you don't think you're qualified, apply anyways. Mm-hmm. Um, because there's plenty of people who have applied and are probably not that qualified <laughs> and get the job. Because what matters more is not necessarily do you have the skill set that you need in order to, um, like, you know, start the job like killing it but it's more just like do you have the soft skills do you have the ability to adapt once you have the job or once you have whatever opportunity that you're given in order to do well so you know for example if you don't know excel and your job application requires you to do excel that means apply to it maybe between like trying to figure out if it's gonna like you're gonna get it learn excel or learn excel on the job ask your friends. Uh, there's so many different ways. So just, just know, don't, don't stop any opportunity um, or don't not apply just because you don't think you're not qualified. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Thank you so much for that amazing advice. I think that's a really amazing place to end for today. Um, so yeah, are there any platforms or social media or anything else you'd just like to shout out to the audience before we end? Absolutely. Um, follow me on Instagram or TikTok. My username is Yazi underscore Nay. Y as in yak, A as in apple, Z as in zebra, I as in ice cream underscore N as in nap, A as in apple, Y as in yak. Um, and if you would like to check out my book on Amazon, uh, we also have it on Barnes and Nobles. Just look up Work Your Net but it's with an E, W-E-R-K, work your net. All right. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you so much. Yeah, definitely. Everybody go check those out. Um, And thank you, Yasna, again, just so much for being a guest today. Of course. Thank you so much for reaching out.